Well, to the Wise Men Say preview show, looking ahead to the Gillingham game. Unfortunately, Matt and Rory, the idiot podcast, isn't here to this evening, so we don't really have a thing we can actually go through. But what we do have is people with jarring accents that will think, hey, why do they support Sunderland? Uh, I'm your t- host, Tom Walsh, and I'm here with Jim. Hello. And Matt. Hello. Uh, Joe once again has cried off because this time he's got a nasty da- um, bout of coronavirus. So we wish him all the best in his. Well, we just hope he doesn't die. So that'd be good. Anyway, Gillingham. Gillingham this Saturday. But let's kick off with an announcement yesterday that Sunland Till I Die 2 is coming. And obviously it's out on April Fool's Day, which they say they're not doing this on purpose, but it feels like. For some reason, every every step along this way is done with let's all laugh at Sunderland. Um, are we excited about this? Not especially. Um, for me, I mean, as much as you know, it's quite it's quite good in a way to be able to watch to watch the behind the scenes clips. Most of my time spent not living in the northeast uh, consists of me having to tell people I'm a Sunderland fan. The first thing they always say to me now is, "Oh, have you seen Sunderland till I die?" Um, to which I yes um, it was horrible to, to live through it the first time never mind watching it again so um, to have another series of an even more depressing season uh, given what happened at the end is, is not filling me with joy but at the same time it might be quite funny So well that's the thing a lot of other teams seem to get very excited about it Portsmouth especially and Charlton all there with their Twitter bants spell check a trade by the way can I just uh, shout out to the Portsmouth uh, Twitter admin who can't spell check a trade um, I don't know if that was um, Brett Pittman behind the tweets there or another similarly similar idiot but well done well, they'll be able to spell it leasing.com, like, better. But, like, the last the last series, even though it was the worst, like, the documented the worst his, uh, season in our history, it did provide some funny moments. I mean, like, you know, Chris Kilman saying he's got six kids and that was a weird... But, like, what are we... They're saying it's going to be very Donald and Methvin heavy, which is... Make that what you will. So... What, do you, what would you like to see, Matthew, from it? Um, I'm quite looking forward to it. I, w- I wouldn't quite say I'm excited, but uh, like you say, the first series was pretty fascinating, compelling stuff, just to see what was going on behind the scenes. Obviously, we knew what was happening on the pitch, but getting that extra insight was interesting, I thought. And I, as someone who also doesn't live in the northeast, when I talk to people about it, they're generally quite... Um, Sympathetic, the word I don't know, but uh, they're, they're certainly pitying. not kind of laughing. Yeah, pitying. <laughs> they're not really laughing at us about it. I wouldn't say the people that I've met. They're, um, they're 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 finding it quite a it's quite an interesting show, and far more um, far more interesting than things like the the Man City documentary, for example. Uh, I'm particularly interested to see the bit where Richard Hill saves the club. Um, so uh, that'll be, I think that'll be an episode in its own, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll be interesting. Um, and I think I would probably dread it a little bit more if the current owners weren't actively looking to sell the club. Yeah. Well, we'll get on to that later because, once again, there's more news that uh, we're going to be sold imminently. Uh, I just... It will be quite interesting to see how... It's just the beginning of it, how, if it focuses on Jack Ross managing to turn this ragtag bunch of losers that he picked up on day one into something that was, you know, we thought we were going to get promoted. And 
for all you said it was a disappointing season, for long periods of it, we thought it was exciting, wasn't it? I mean, it was, and I think like people sort of have seen, you know, people refer to Donald and Methvin as sort of like yeah. Your, uh, Del Boy and Rodney Trotter. Um, I think it's probably more going to be David Brent and Gareth Keenan. But I think uh, at the same time, it might be quite funny in part. I mean, Jack Ross did do an incredible job to get that ragtag rag bunch of misfits into a, into a reasonable, at times, League One side. But uh, at the same time, I think it's going to be hard viewing. Um, I'm excited for the transfer deadline day episode, if that does make it to a... Uh, um, and I think also the playoff final viewing will be uh, the talk of, uh, of football banter Twitter for quite uh, some time. I, I just I didn't like that whole. I didn't like it on the day. I didn't. I don't want to relive it. I've never watched that game back. There was no point of that day, which was actually good. I mean, like even going to Wembley was boring because we went a couple of months earlier, and it was much better. So. Yeah, I think I might just leave off that episode rather than having weird Charlton fans crowing about it. It sort of depends. I mean, if we end up going up this season, then yeah, it'll yeah. be fine, really, yeah. won't it? But if we miss out again, then it is going to be like a kind of horrifying, recurring dream that we're just sort of reliving over and over and over again. Well, it sounds like something we do as Sunderland fans every season is filled with that crushing disappointment. And on that note, we've got Gillingham on Saturday. And it's, a, it's one of these games where, on paper, you think, we should smash these. But, under Steve Evans, Steve Evans, with your face like an angry plum, they're actually quite, they're actually quite good. It's like, under the radar, they've, won, uh, they've not lost. Well, they've lost one game in 16 in the league, which... By any stretch of the well, by a stretch of any any imagination, that's really good, and they're going to prove a test. Yeah, I mean, it's this is going to be the fourth time this season we've played them. Uh, Each game was more depressing than than the previous (laughs) one, Um, culminating in that famous. Le- well, was it the league game? The last, the, the, the third time you played them? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, as, as it was referenced on Monday's pod, everyone was baffled as to how Parky kept his job after that. But yeah. he did. And we've picked up since then. And I'd like to think the Sunderland playing Gillingham on Saturday is a totally different outfit to that that they've played so far. Like you say, they, they, they're decent. They've, they've got a good run. But fundamentally, um, and it is a little bit of a cliche, but in all series, if we are serious about going up, we need to be winning this game. Of course, I mean, as I was checking their fixtures before, they go in this run, when they played big teams, especially away from home, they've gone there and both at Ipswich and at Peterborough, they've got nil-nil draws. So, are we going to expect them to come up back against the wall kind of thing and just frustrate us? The thing is that they, they, they are in decent form, or they were, but I think they lost the weekend, didn't they? they lost, yeah, AFC they Wimbledon. Lost at home to Wimbledon who aren't one of the strongest teams in the league, I wouldn't say. No. Um, but their away form in particular is really strong. They haven't, uh, they haven't lost an away game since, I think it's 23rd of November. And against that, that again, that was against Wimbledon. So <laughs> may, maybe a bit of a bogey team for them, or, or they've just got them kind of figured out. But um, I, think they'll be, I think they'll be a tough team to break down. But I think we'll have enough. I think we'll have enough to beat them, because I think man for man... We're, we're good enough to beat Jimmy. I think as well there'll be plenty of gamesmanship on show. Uh, we played Steve Evans' Peterborough uh, last season at the stadium night, which was uh, famous for 
uh, Brian Oviedo beating, was it Madison or Tony? Yeah, uh, Up the backside for no apparent reason. Um, and Steve Evans going going mental on the touchline, as he always does. I mean, he, you know, to be fair to the guy, he might not be everyone's cup of tea, but there's a reason why he keeps getting jobs at this level. He knows how to set up a team to wind up the opposition, get in their faces, play hard. And that's what that's what happened. So there's no way we're going to be able to turn up and expect to roll them over. Um, but at the same time, if you look at their, their, their ability levels, at least on paper, like Matt was saying, but also even just looking at recent results, um, I, we, we, we really, to all intents and purposes, have to beat them. Um, arrogant it may sound, but it's if, true. If we're serious of... Especially after the past two results we've had. I mean, you're saying about a shithousery. We saw that with Fleetwood last Tuesday. And it's not the case of we didn't cope with it, but it's, it's, hard. it's hard when a team comes to the stadium. We saw it Lowe's last season with, like, Wickham. Wickham, for prime example, the time waited from um, the first minute. And that's why I feel we really, really need to get back to that kind of high press football from the off that we saw against Rochdale and uh, sorry, Rochdale, Wickham, Lincoln games and that's the way see we get a goal they're going to uh, you'd like to think they're going to crumble it's fine it's find a way to win isn't it at the end of the day and like for us in the way we play the best way to, to, to stop that shithousery and that, that delaying tactics and all that is to like you say get in their faces and score early so for us to be pragmatic to, about the game would be to do that as opposed to try and match them you know in the shit house or in the long ball tactics. we have to get in the faces keep the ball on the floor and out play them of course the problem in the last two games and what's prevented us from doing that is we've conceded really early in yeah. both of them Yeah. so that that's completely affected our game plan and and fair enough we were playing much stronger opposition um, but if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna get off to such a bad start uh, particularly if we then let the opposition get a goal ahead then we're going to be chasing the whole game I mean even Coventry considering how it, they're in a really strong position in the league they're a good side but they were quite happy for us to have 60-70% possession after they'd gone in front so we really need to start the game in a much better way than we have done and, and I don't know whether that's down to fatigue and, and, and not refreshing the team a little bit who knows but we need to make sure that we don't do the same thing on Saturday well that's what I was going to come on to again we're at the like last week uh, sorry last week was three games in a week and we're starting again another starting again with like so we've got Gillingham uh, on Saturday and away to Bristol Rovers and away to Blackpool and my friend, my friend pointed out the other day that when we've gone on these sets of fixtures and Parkinson's played the same uh, team as he has been doing, we always lose the third game. And it's, it's, if that's the case, we can't afford, or he needs, he really needs to freshen this team up because I thought at Coventry, I mean, it was a terrible pitch as well, but the lads looked dead on the feet after about 60 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, the Coventry game... For that, read the Portsmouth game the last time we, we had a run of games, especially so with arguably the toughest of the three, as Portsmouth was and as Coventry was as the last of the three. And um, Blackpool picked up yeah, a bit of form Yeah, I'd well. agree that Blackpool this time will be the toughest of the three as well, especially away from home. Uh, just sack race and um, new manager bounce and all that. But, but he has to rotate. And I mean, we've been saying this for a while and every time we win, after we say it, people will come back and go, we'll never change a winning team. But... 
the issue I have with that, as I've had the whole time, is that that winning team, if they ain't fit and they ain't firing, they're not going to win again. Like the reason you have a squad, the reason we've signed these players, irrespective of whether they're better or worse than the players that we had, they're going to be fitter and they're going to be fresher and hopefully want to prove a point. So starting the same team, hell or high water doesn't work and the fact that this has happened as you said the last two times we had three games in the week just proves that point so hopefully he referenced in his press conference today that there's people chomping at the bit and there may be changes I hope he follows through on that because he really has to learn to do that because we ain't got the luxury we know he's not going to though don't we yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean he's, uh, he's, he's not going yeah, to it's because, be because he kind of he's kind of hinted at it quite a few times yeah. uh, and it just ends up being the same 11 um, and I think one point that, that I haven't really heard too many people say is we, we signed Bailey Wright or we signed him on loan he was thrown straight into the side I'm pretty sure he hadn't really played that, that many minutes for, um, for Bristol City before that so he was thrown straight in the side and I think he played what three or four games I don't think he even came off as a substitute I think he played every minute and now he's out for the season with what was it ankle ligament injury yeah we'll probably never see him again we'll probably never see him again and and, and, and that's almost certainly due to being thrown straight into the team and to play that, that number of games in such a short space of time we've got other players with big injury problems Charlie Wyke being a prime example it wouldn't surprise me at all if we have at least one other player who's out for the season at some point well you met like on Bailey Wright as well the first game he got chucked into was Tranmere on a sand pit so players are going to pick up injuries like this and we went through this we've been through this before it's like how is he keeping players like Scowen Scowen uh, like Scowen Lafferty I know Lafferty gets minutes Semenyo well Declan Johnson doesn't even exist it's like how is he keeping these players motivated when they know no matter what they do in training they're not going to get a game a bit of a warning sign for me was like before the Coventry game he admitted that Gooch and White had only just passed late fitness tests to to get in the first sight and like they were both should we say off the game White was particularly poor in my opinion but why when you have the option to not start these two players bear in mind they've played two games in the same seven days before are they still starting Um, I just don't understand it I mean Wyke I'm not the biggest critic of Wyke I know some people really don't like him I know some people defend him a lot but like nobody could have watched him on Sunday and said that was a good performance because it really wasn't he looked knackered absolutely done in from the minute from the moment I think it was like 10 minutes in when he got elbowed in the face by their centre back from then on and then he didn't fancy it no he just didn't fancy it and he, he didn't look no, fit anyway and I wouldn't have been surprised. I know the lads were saying about how Denver Hume was keen to get off when he got subbed off. I think if that had happened to White on Sunday, he'd have been the same. He almost looked like he needed a rest. So Parky needs to read this. If we can see it, he should be able to see it. Well, the, the, the problem we have now is because he's... And I think you're a, you've got a friend who's a Bolton fan and he kind of alluded to this. He picks his team and then he just grinds them down. Yeah, it's, but, it's, um, his, his point was that... He picks players that buy into his um, into his vision, um, and if you don't really buy into that vision, you ain't gonna get a kick. But he said this happened at Bolton, yeah. and and now we're at a point where pretty much the entire first eleven need a rest. So we can't we can't change the whole team, and that would be a stupid thing to do. And I don't think anybody would want him to do that. But what should have happened before now is that he swapped out one or two. You know, when we've got three games in a week. 
some of those games are against poorer opposition. I'm sure we could have swapped Dobson for Scowin for one game, Lafferty for White for one game, just to keep... And then they could come straight back in if that's what he wants to do, but now we're at a point where it's kind of gone on too far. And then they've got... If he does that, then the, the players that are coming in aren't like... They don't feel like completely alien to the rest of the team. They know the system they play. Unless, unless he's drilling every single player within an inch of their lives in training. So it's just they know their roles and they can just slip straight into it. But it's like when I have seen these players come in, especially Semenyo, it looks like he has no idea what he's meant to be doing. And he's just, well... He frustrated me so much when he came on at Coventry, just instantly giving away silly fouls. And it's maybe I'm damning my own argument here, but it's just like they need to be gradually introduced or introduced somehow. So when they come in, they do know exactly what they're well, I doing. Think, I think I mentioned this on the last part. Actually, I think I think one of the major issues with, with the way he's treating this squad is that it almost sends a message to. Well, one message to the starting eleven, and another message to the players on the bench insofar as, like, no matter what you do, if you're a starter, you're going to start. And no matter what you do, if you're not starting, you're not going to start. And then it's like, for these players who are having to come on the bench and try and show something in five, ten minutes, like, after sort of two months, especially the ones who've just been signed, like Scow and Semenyo, for example, it's like, well, you've just signed me, and you're not really giving me a chance to do anything here. And I'm lucky if I get five, ten minutes, and then I feel like I've got to try and do everything to impress you. And it's like, fair enough, don't change your winning team, blah, blah. But at the same time, the argument is also, is what kind of message does this say to the lads who aren't getting the game? Is it like, well, you're just a backup. I'm not going to start you. Then how is that going to motivate them to try and put in their best performance? And also, make it, they're going to be rusty, like you're saying, so many look rusty. Not surprising. Well, it's like, playing. you take Lafferty, Lafferty, for example. People have been saying, oh, well, he's not starting games because he's not fit. Well, how are you supposed to get like match ready exactly. when you have five minutes here five minutes there when you come on you, you're essentially doing you're either doing the same job as white or playing alongside white which yeah. makes yeah, yeah. which makes That's, no diff like yeah, no yeah. sense whatsoever plan b is to, is to play them both up front and, <laughs> and lump it up to them basically that 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 is our only other option it seems under parkinson that's bizarre that's just like it's bizarre because it happened on it happened on saturday sunday sorry they brought two of them on it's like when you have a ready-made like a little man like you know we like the big man little man kind of thing who if the big man wins it could knock it knock it down to someone and he might do something I know Will Grigg you can't just make him good because he's not been playing but it's like come on give him a go <laughs> give him a go uh, definitely, and I think like not obviously not not Greg for my what I'm going to say here, but for the, the newly play, newly signed players, one thing that really annoys me about, about managers, and we've had a few of them in recent times, is managers who sign players and then don't play them. It's like you've signed these players, you said you needed to improve the squad, you've got them in, and then you're not using them. So it's like, well, either you've 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 signed crap players or. You, you're just not using them anyway which neither argument makes sense really and I, I just can't understand it because if I'm one of those players I'm thinking well what the hell have I signed for Sunderland for I'm not getting a game and no matter what I do in training especially you know Declan John can look at Denver Hume and he's, he can say well Hume's not played well for 3-4 games and yet I'm not even getting named on the bench what am I, what am I going to do like, what? and I think also the fact that he, he did throw Bailey Wright straight into the team suggests that 
if he thinks you're good enough or you're a better option, then you probably would be in the team. So again, what message does that send? Mixed messages because then you could argue that Bailey Wright came down from the championship, but so did Scowan. Bailey Wright was thrown straight in. Scowan's had what grand total of 20 minutes in his exactly. career so far. Exactly. So he'll he'll. If I was him, I'd be thinking, well, if he thought I was good enough, like yeah. he clearly thought Bailey Wright was a better option than than Ozturk or Lynch, he put him straight in, but he hasn't put me straight in, so he obviously doesn't think I'm as good an option. Well, that brings us to, he said today in his press conference that Elliot Embleton and Ethan Robson are in contention, which makes you wonder, so what? <laughs> like, does it, so, so what? So they can, like, not get in the squad or whatever. But if Embleton, I mean, he was... He was pretty good actually before he went before he pulled his hamstring at Sheffield United all those months ago. Another big fan favourite despite not doing much. Um, but you know, you never know. We put him in. And that's an, another option. But as we said, does he was he even going to use these options? I think one of the one of the main problems Embleton had previously was McGeady because McGeady was yeah. was was arguably the only other player who play a similar role to what he plays. Um, you could say Maguire could do it as well, but Maguire could play in other positions. But, you know, Hamilton, I mean, the, the, the reports from Grimsby last year, if you look at the stats, even, you know, like these non-Sunderland EFL podcasts all raved about Hamilton last season, how good he was at Grimsby, saying that he definitely is good enough to play in League One for Sunderland. And I think he is as well. I mean, for me... He gives you something a bit different because if you look at how he played for Eng- England under 17s, under 19s, he was one of the best players in that in those teams. He hasn't lost that ability. He's been unlucky with injuries, but for me, Embleton definitely, if fit, deserves a chance because he gives us something different. I mean, technically, he is probably better than virtually any other player number 10 in in League One uh, purely because of the of what we've seen with England and when he's been on loan he was too good for League 2 last season with Grimsby the standard's not that much better in League 1 for a lot of teams I wouldn't imagine certainly he at least deserves a chance as for Ethan Robson I'm not sure if he has got anything that we haven't got I mean George Dobson's younger than him and is starting ahead of him and in my eyes is a better player than him nothing against Robson but I'm not sure if maybe he, he needs a change of scene well Robson's like what 24 now yeah, it's he's like, not even young really it's like if he would have made it yeah. I know he's had injuries and all this it seems to be a recurring theme with uh, Southern Youth Prospect apart from Denver Hume who he's played quite a lot now but it's like when we we always hear of this like like Embleton it's like, oh, he's going to be fantastic. And then he's just like, oh, he plays a few games, he looks good, snap hamstring, and he's out for like six months. And it's like, with Robson, I remember when he played in the championship, I'm sorry, I wasn't too keen on him, but it's another option. But then, <laughs> then your man's yeah, scouting. Yeah, but then your man scouting's got that. Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think that what I've seen of Hamilton, I think he does have something that he could probably offer to the sides in one of those kind of wide forward areas um, instead of Gucci and Maguire. But he isn't gonna. He isn't gonna change it, and he's he's only got. You can't just like pile as many people as you want on the bench. There's a, there's a, there's a finite amount of of places we can have on there. I mean, yeah, I mean Conor McLaughlin needs his spot. <laughs> well, I mean, they were talk. I know that they, they came up on the pods earlier in the week, and, and I totally agree. And it's it's a good point about Hume and the fact that he's that he's young and he's inexperienced, uh, and he probably does need a break from the side. But the 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 backup option seems to be Lyndon Gooch who also needs a rest and Declan John's absolutely nowhere to be seen so he's clearly not going to come straight into the side that just wouldn't happen but there was, pic- <laughs> there was pictures of him on the club's <laughs> website so he does exist and he's clearly well if he's training he must be fit so 
I'm sure if he said if he's injured I mean he was saying that like he's he's ready to go and it's like well why has he not been nowhere problem near the squad is, though, problem for me is like yes I agree that Hume hasn't looked great and he probably does need a break but Declan John was playing for Swansea under 21 till we signed him he's not played I don't know if he's ever played you know in League One he, he played a bit in the championship I don't think he's played that many first team minutes at all if he gets just thrown into a an intense must-win game for his, you know, having on the back of absolutely no sort of even cameo roles off the bench or anything. It's a big ask, and for me, it's it's one of them where the Gooch thing is interesting with him because I, I kind of get it if we're chasing the game because like you want to keep your attacking players on the pitch, so you move Gooch because you know he'll move forward anyway. But at the same time. The absolute issue is that at the, at the minute Hume is effectively undroppable because there's nobody else who can play there. And the reason why that's happened is because Declan John hasn't been given the opportunity, even in, you know, to come on or he's not even been on the bench. So why has he not been introduced for Hume in the past so that if he needs to start, he can? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to kind of cast aspersions, but it, could it be a problem with application? You do sometimes get an issue with players who come on loan who know that they haven't got uh, they know that they haven't got an opportunity probably to go to that club permanently, whether they want to or whether the club doesn't want to take them. And particularly since he hasn't been he hasn't been featuring at all, he's he's very unlikely to be at Sunderland next season, is he? So is he really going to want to be thrown into the probably throes not. of a of a promotion race? And would we really want to throw him in there either? That just says well the. Fucking point of buying it. Well, he's yeah, pro- he's probably, in all honesty, he's probably been told by Swansea, right? You're not getting, you're not going to play for us in the second half of the season. Um, Sunderland have come in for you on loan. We suggest you go there. If you don't go there, you're not going to play for us. If you go there, you might get some minutes. And he's probably thought, well, I'll go. Probably, I mean, I don't want to like Matt. I don't want to cast aspersions, but at the same time, it's like. Is there a reason he's not getting picked? I mean, Parkinson seems... Much as he doesn't change the team at the same time, he does seem to reward the players who do work hard. So, I don't know. It's weird that he hasn't even been on the bench, where Conor McLaughlin, who is... You know, I've seen people refer to Charlie Wyke as the tin man up front, but I think the defensive equivalent will be Conor McLaughlin. So, I don't know why he's getting on the bench as a wing-back cover ahead of Declan John. So, in short, you're expecting the same team on Saturday? Um, I am, but I don't know whether he might throw one change in because I, I really, really do think that Charlie White needs to not start the next game. Are we similar? Similar? Yeah, he'll, he'll start the same team unless, um, you know, presumably there'll be more late fitness tests. If somebody doesn't pass one of them, he'll make a change. And if if everybody gets a clean bill of health and fitness, he will start the same 11. Well, that's a good enough uh, point for a break. After the break, we'll, uh, we'll have a quick chat about the, uh, the run-in to the end of the season. Uh, welcome back to the Wiseman Say preview show. Plug time! Jim, do you like jumpers? I I do. I really do like jumpers. What kind of jumpers do you like? Well, I like sort of jumpers that you can wear on a night out, on a nice day out, or maybe even to the football. Oh, um, to the football, you say? Do you like polo shirts, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I really like polo shirts. I like them in different colours. Um, yeah, I've got several in a bit my wardrobe. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Polo shirts. I live for polo shirts. You live for polo shirts. That's great, that's great. 
because I tell you where you can get polo shirts and jumpers to wear to the club and to the football match. And some really nice jackets as well. And some really nice jackets. Don't forget the jackets. From the terraces, eh? From the terraces.co.uk or maybe.com. Don't know. Don't quote me on that. And if you go there, do you want some money off it? You can get some bloody money off it. Promo code WMS10. So when you go to Gillingham, well, you go to the Gillingham game on Saturday, you can look absolutely shit hot. But before you go to the Gillingham game, where could you like show off your newfangled like garments? Well, could we, could I you? mean, I've heard a rumour that yes. the cracking pre-match show oh, yeah. was done before the Ipswich yeah. game featuring Danny Collins yeah. and Barry Hyde from the Future Head serving peas pudding and ham sandwiches is going to be played again, Ooh. but featuring Darren Williams this time. Darren Williams, that lad who scored that goal at Middlesbrough all those years ago. You get some fantastic, fantastic beers. But uh, where is it, Jim? It is the Peacock. The Peacock? What the time did it start? It starts well, I believe, you know, it starts at half one. You can get there from half twelve onwards upstairs. And honestly, I did go last time. It's absolutely cracking. I've not met Darren Williams before, but as they were saying on Monday, I've always got some great stories, so I'm quite excited. And I hear, Matthew, I hear these free, free starty cakes. Imagine that. Wow. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds great. I'd love to meet Darren Williams. And what else is there? What else is there? Oh, shipyard for three pounds. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well, so get yourself down... Down to the Peacock, pre-Gillingham, and um, also, unfortunately, Gareth and Stephen will also be there uh, hosting. And yeah, you, we can, you can have this, but in front of you. I mean, how great would that be? <laughs> great. Anyway, we're getting to the what they call the business end of the season, um, and the question is: We're fifth now. How many points? Hold on. Are... Hold on. Hold on. We are just a casual, lining fifth place, just a casual ooh, six points off top, but also four points of second place on level on points. Have we left it too late? No, I really don't think we have. Um, I did do. Then I listened to Monday's Wiseman's Day pod and Gareth, I thought, not, not just Gareth, everybody, but especially Gareth was speaking a lot of sense about not getting too carried away with the, with the negativity there's a lot of football still to play um, I think we I mean obviously mathematically it's still it would be in our hands regardless but I, I actually do think that if you look at the comparative runs of us of what we've got compared to what the other sides have I think it is definitely doable but also at the same time we really do have to now not miss any more opportunities to, to really put our foot on the gas at, at one point Stephen said on Monday every time we, we get an opportunity to put our foot on the gas we seem to mess it up um, and that, that is 100% true and I think we will get opportunities again this season and we really cannot afford especially with the potential breaks that we're going to have coming up in the games in hand we have to play the team in front of us and nothing more it's pointless the, the club looking ahead and the side looking ahead to thinking we can go up when we've got to beat Gillingham first we've got to beat Wimbledon first we've got we, you know We've got to just play them as they come. I know every footballer says it in the post-match interviews that you can only take it a game at a time, but it is really, really true and key at this point that we do that. Uh, I think we have left it too late. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Night and day there. Night and day. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, Gareth and, and, and via him, Jim have put forward a good case, but 
I just think well, you're not enthused by that passionate uh... um, yeah no, and I hope people are and I hope people are and I think it's totally fine and I totally see the logic we can still do it of course we can still do it but me personally I don't think we will now um, heading into the last two games I was sort of willing to believe that we could do it um, if we got four or maybe even six points from those two games I thought yeah we could do it to end up with one point from those two games and very nearly end up with no points I think is is really poor from that sort of double header and we were all talking about it being a big test playing some good teams in form and we, we've been found wanting to be honest Would uh, before those two games were you confident we could like get in the top two? Uh no, not. I was sceptical before those two yeah. games, and I thought if Just we come through those two games, or because of the running we got, um, because of the, because of what had happened before, really, and the fact that we we were in good form, we were playing well, and we were getting good results, but so were a lot of teams around us, yeah. and I think some of those teams are still in form. Uh, I'm not saying we're not in form necessarily, but the last two games, I think, were just such a big opportunity, and um, and I think. I think we have left it too late, to be honest. And that 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 first 12, 14 games under Parkinson has really has really just put us so far behind from where we would have been if we just picked up a few more points in that time. We would have been top two. I think if it comes down to it, we do end up in the playoffs. I think this is what we're going to be looking at. That awful October to December period where we've gone to like. Bad defeats, Shrewsbury, Gillingham, then horrible draws. That ball. See, if you win that game at Bolton per se, you're on 61 points, and that's only a point off like second. And then it's like that everyone's like game. But I do. See, I understand your uh, your pessimism there, but this is not a good league. It's not like it's not like last year where you'd look every week and it'd be Barnsley, Luton, Charlton, they've won. Whereas now it's like, oh, Rotherham have drawn against Wimbledon. It's like MK Dons have got a point at Peterborough and stuff like this. So I don't, personally, I don't, well, as I was saying before, I did a predictor the other day of us winning every single game and it still had us to finish second. But obviously we're not going to win every game. But I do think the inconsistencies of the teams around us, like Portsmouth have got an absolutely minging run. And also they'll probably be like, Hung over from like beating Salford in the the checker trade, um, and I think they could slip. I, I, I don't. I couldn't hang my hat on anyone to go up, bar possibly Coventry. I think fundamentally, I, I honestly can't think of it one side we've played this season who I actually have thought, wow, you know they're even as good as we are. I mean, I think obviously we've been beaten and we've played badly, but I, at the same time. I, you know, even commentary on Sunday, they're supposedly on form the best side in the league and they weren't that good. Peterborough were probably the best I've seen, but we, we all know how they go hot and cold anyway, so yeah. you can't rely on them to do that for the rest of the season. So I do feel like I've been, <laughs> we've been saying this since even we're in the Championship and getting walloped every week. It's like the teams we're coming up against, these are not good teams, but not good in the sense they're not playing swashbuckling football that kind of surprises you but it's like they're just doing enough it's like Coventry are just doing enough they're not blowing teams away it's like don't forget we were doing that against Oxford yes, yes we, of course we, we were doing that against MK Dons in, in other games well admittedly we didn't do it on Sunday and we, we didn't play well but at the same time I, I, I just don't see 
at this point a lot like a way you can I, I know Matt put forward a good argument for it but I, I just don't see how you can say we're definitely not going to not going to do it at this point because there's too much too much football still to be played and there's too many bang average teams in good positions yeah I, I, I definitely don't think we're definitely not going to do it I, I can oh, I don't know I can totally I can totally see us doing it but we're either going to do it or we're not and I and I I, yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 there's two possible outcomes. We'll either do it or we won't. And I personally think we will win a lot of games between now and the end of the season. We'll, we'll be, we'll be there or there. I don't want to say there or there about sound like Andy Townsend, but um, we, we will be up there, I'm sure. But, but I just don't think we'll quite manage it. Well, put it this way: this time next week. Gotta be Thursday. No, sorry. Week on Sunday. St. Patrick's Day, if you will. Look, these three games are out of the way. We've got nine points from that. And then we don't have another game for like what seems like a month. If you get nine points from these next three games, are you thinking, right, this is definitely on? Because I I think I think if we come through if we come through these next three games, win all of them, I think. Yeah, possibly. Because I think teams around us are going to slip up because they've got, some of them got to play each other I know like Peterborough and Portsmouth have to play each other at some point I'm pretty sure Rotherham have to, Rotherham have to play Peterborough or Portsmouth or maybe even both of them as well unfortunately the one team I think we're going to have to look out for which are ominously hovering below us is Fleetwood mm. because they they're on they've come from nowhere a bit like They've done what Luton did, but at a much later phase in the season, where since New Year they just they smashed everyone in the top four, uh, top six, and it's just like if they keep that momentum building, as bears me to say, you don't want to be ending up with them in the playoffs. I can't see that happen with him in charge of them. Though. I really can't. Seeing they'll implode or something. Volatile. I, I just think it's a volatile environment. I think when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad under him. Similar probably to, to, to when we had Roy Keane and stuff. I, I, I just... Whoa, 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 whoa. Just, let's not, I'm not directly saying... Let's not compare legends. No, but I mean in terms of, you know, volatility. I, I just, I just like, much as Fleetwood are obviously doing well, I, I can't at this point see them as a, a serious contender to get promoted. I, I might be wrong, but... We'll uh, just cut this bit. We'll cut this bit on uh, until May, so we can replay that when they're uh, parading the trophy round. Um, Uncle, what are they making? They're Fisherman's friend. That factory round there, so they're parading that round. Um, Unfortunately, we're gonna have to talk. Well, Donald's been at it again. He's been talking to some Sunderland fans outside, outside somewhere, a social club or something of that ilk. And uh, the papers have picked up on it, and apparently there's major interest again, and uh, that he's going to all, he's all going to be, he's all going to go through, lads. But, you know, the dream's going to complete, and uh, just, I'm so tired of this. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I think at this point of this, of the season anyway, but I think at this point with Sunderland and, and the ownership that we've had, I'd rather not be hearing about that, especially not, you know, in motorway service stations or wherever it is. That, that we heard it. I mean, I've been saying for a long time, and I'm, I'm not by any means the only one, and I'm certainly not trying to be overly critical, critical here because I actually don't want to be critical of, of the current ownership. But at the same time, I feel I must say that I, I struggle to to deal with the mixed messages that we get and the the lack of consistent communication and 
you know, we've been told it was getting sold at the end of February, we've been told there was interested buyers, we've been told it's the end of the season. It's like, frankly, at this point, I think we just need to stop hearing a, a, from the chairman until the end of the season. And it's also like, Matthew, it's like, it's going to be what another... Can you remember, like, can you last remember a summer where Sunderland weren't on the brink of being taken over? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he said when he did that Total Sport interview, I can't remember exactly when it was, and he said it'll take a month or two, I think. And I was kind of sceptical <laughs> at the time. I mean, it sounds like a very short period of time to, to sell a football club, um, particularly when you've pretty much gone from allegedly a point of uh, the point of not wanting to sell the club to a point of selling the club to think that you can get it done and dusted in four to eight weeks seems like a very tight turnaround so I didn't really believe that at the time and obviously that that would have been like sort of end of February I think and that's passed now and so I don't really I don't really take a lot of notice anymore to be honest at this point with all the mixed messages we've just got to see what happens it's just just boring isn't it it's just like either sell it or or don't uh, we'll end on something a little brighter well brighter it might be boring I don't really care but it's like we're, uh, we've got night kits next year that's not exciting is it and apparently although the plan uh, where they're making them all uh, they all have coronavirus now so um, so maybe we'll get the first coronavirus shirt which would be quite cool um, apparently this season there's going to be no templates so we're going to get our own snazzy like Nigeria style uh, would shirt Sunderland, wouldn't it like yeah. you know the first coronavirus shirt. The first coronavirus <laughs> shirt. The first team that gets coronavirus. Oh, by the way, if anyone listening that does have coronavirus, we uh, we wish you all the best, Joe. Um, thinking of that, what was uh, we had? We had night kits. Well, we had them in the early nineties, didn't we? Yeah. They were some uh, some fine kits, and then also documented our one of our best eras with Quinn and Phillips in that, that white lovely white, white, white shirt. Oh, right. Um, well, we've got our question of the week. Uh, unfortunately, you see, uh, it's touching on our beloved owners again. As you know, Sunderland Till I Die 2 comes out on uh, April Fool's Day, which is funny. Uh, Full 73, the makers of it, tweeted the announcement of Sunderland Till I Die with the hashtag uh, The Donald Methvin Show. Uh, <laughs> quickly taken down and had to apologise for that. Um, and hopefully these answers won't require us to do the same uh, in that spirit of the Donald and Methvin show what would you name a TV series starring Charlie Methvin and Stuart Donald and what would they be Matthew um, I'd, I'd like to see a sort of imagining of what might happen uh, after they sell the club um, maybe Stuart Donald goes back to uh, working in car insurance um, and it would be called Always the bridal, never the bride. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Jim, Jim. Fucking hell. Uh, there's no way I'm going to top that. I mean, my my imagining, I mean, I, I sort of... Don't, up, don't say anything slanderous. Ended up just imagining like them on on more like current, current TV shows. So I thought like maybe like an episode of Celebrity Coach Trip featuring... Donald, Donald Methvin on a on a coach trip around Europe with some other 
sort of Z-list celebrities or maybe Top Gear hosts. They sort of like. I feel like they might. Well, in fairness, a bit we, of Top Gear and... we do have the best away transport in the well, league. Well, exactly. So, yeah. so, so you know, you could get the Sunderland can organise the, the coach for the coach trip, and it could be like them and like Dick and Dom and I don't know other other duos. Um, or you could have a bit of Top Gear. Um, but I think if we we're going to have a new show, it would be um, sort of a fly on the wall, sort of like crossing out the thick of it in the office following Charlie Methvin and his PR company, where like he's like doing the actual job and then just like throw a few actors in and you know, see, see how it goes. <laughs> uh, well, Joe, <laughs> a friend of the show, Joe's written in. Uh, he suggested uh, traffic cops where the, min- <laughs> where the minimum fine you caught speeding is 100 points, which is uh, very, good. very good. I also had uh, Donnie and the Chinos, two glamorous jewel thieves. Uh, but instead of uh, thieves and jewels, it's just they just go around drinking free pints everywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, predictions for Saturday, Matthew. Um, I think we'll win 2 0. 2 0. I think the same, 2 0. Uh, I think. I'll go 3 0. And finally, will the big one, will we go up? Yes. Yes, but via the playoffs. I'm going to say yes. Last day away at Rotherham, beating Rotherham to go up. Um, the New York Stadium. The New York Stadium. In, the, in New York, New York. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. <laughs> But on that note, there'll be a reaction pod on Saturday after the Gillingham game, and there'll be a normal pod uh, again on Monday. Uh, thanks for listening.